0: will you stay uh, standing in honor of the reading of God's word? I know in your programs there's a huge chunk of scripture, but actually we're going to look at Colossians chapter 3, verse 17. It says, And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much, Lord, for the opportunity to to gather around your word. Father, I I echo Mike's prayer. Father, I pray for clarity. Lord, I pray that this would be a message, Father, that truly just speaks to our hearts. Lord, as we come before you and, and look at your word, Lord, just be glorified and be with us. In your name I pray, amen. Go ahead and have a seat. It's good to see everybody here. It it is my honor and my privilege today to be able to bring this series to an end. We have been in a series that we started on Easter weekend that has looked at what do we do when we are done? What do we do when we've reached the end of ourselves, when you get to the point where you don't have hope anymore, or or you're just frustrated, that you just want to check out and every day is just a begrudging existence that you just tolerate life. We're looking at this idea that, you know, when we live our lives, there are, there are opportunities, there are times when we have had hope, but hope seems to go away, and now that the only thing that you can look forward to, possibly, is just sleeping. We are looking at what do we do when you have thrown in the towel, or when you want to throw in the towel, and you just simply exist. Well, as a review, that first weekend, we looked at this acronym that, that Mike has put together for us. We looked at D, don't ignore your reality. And that message, it taught us that we, at times, when you come to the point that you want to be done, it's really easy for people to just check out. It's, it's, it's something I call the, the culture of avoidance, that maybe when you come home after work, when you've been dealing with stress, when you've been dealing with people, when you've been dealing with just life, all you want to do is check out. So maybe you turn on the tv or maybe you watch netflix or maybe maybe you you drink or maybe you you sleep things off or maybe you play video games or maybe you just get lost in a world of fantasy by reading whatever it is you've taken something to the extreme and all you are doing is you are coping in a way that honestly it it doesn't really bring life any meaning what we're looking at here is the idea that we at that moment we have a need and yet we have a good god who seeks after us to rescue us to save us from those opportunities those, those things and luke nineteen ten it says for the son of man came to seek and save the lost in those moments of your life when you are frustrated when you are lost when you are without hope christ still seeks you in your heart so don't ignore reality because Whatever frustrations that you have in your life, whatever it is you're trying to get away from God, there is an opportunity here for God to turn things around. As a matter of fact, that's why the next week we looked at, oh, outlook is everything. So look to Christ. We often say that right? whatever you look at, that's what determines the route that you go to. When you learn to drive, they say you know, look out onto the horizon because if you focus too much on what's in front of you, you might veer off the road. Outlook determines your destination and with that we learn that we should be looking to Christ. If you are living in a life that, that's full of frustration, pain and sorrow, it's so easy to just focus on your pain. It's so easy to focus on your circumstance because that's, that's what you seem think to be your reality. But really, life is more than just the things you don't have. And so with that, we, we were taught to look to Christ, to have his perspective. This, this week, I'm reading through Colossians. I'm, I'm preaching through it. And what I love about Colossians is that it outlines this journey. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2 says, If then, if you have been raised with Christ... Seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. If we are called by Christ, if we are looking longing for hope, we need to remember that we are challenged to have a heavenly perspective, to keep Christ at the forefront of our minds. And when we do that, when we do that, when we pr- practice that eternal perspective, when we practice keeping Christ at the center of our lives, when we keep our eyes on his majesty, his glory, Christ gives us something that we need. And that's what we learned just last week, that end new life is yours in Christ. We serve a God, a God of second, third, fourth, fifth chances. We serve a God, a God who is constantly seeking us out to renew our hearts, our souls, our minds, to fill us with hope for his glory. We serve a God, we worship a God that wants to give us a sense of renewal so no matter what happens in your life when things have just gone awry, you don't have to stay stuck, jaded, and confused, and hurt, but there is an opportunity, there is room there is hope for you to grow out of that and live a new life because your old life has gone away Colossians 3:3 3, 3 says for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God When Christ who is your life appears then you will also appear with him in glory that your sin, your brokenness, all those things have been crucified with Christ, and we now have a new life in Him. We have hope in Him. We have the power in Him. And if you've been following along with this series, the next question then would be, if we have this new life, how is it that we continue to walk in that? How do we cultivate that? How do we grasp, grasp the glory? How do we grasp the power? How do we grasp that hope? And that is the message today. That if we're going to live out this new life in Christ, then we need to know that as believers, as those who claim Jesus, everything, everything is about God. Let's look one more time then at today's jumping off text, Colossians 3, 17. It says, whatever you do, whatever you do, in word, or deed. Do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This verse is a simple verse. It is an exhortation. It's, 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 a, it's a command, really, from Paul as he shows us that whatever we do, now that we've put on Christ, if you've studied the Colossians letter, you see that in chapter 3 is about taking your old life, putting it away, and in that second paragraph, you would see that Paul is encouraging believers to put on Christ, to put on hope, to put on love, to put on this power. And it ends it with, now that you're wearing Christ, do everything in his name. Do everything in his name. And a reasonable question would be, why? Why is it everything? Not most things, not what we do on Sundays or the weekends or on Friday evenings, but everything, everything 24-7, everything that we say, everything that we do, why should it be done in the name of Jesus? Well, that can be answered by Paul if you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. It says, you, you are not your own for you were bought with a price so what that means is you are no longer your own if you have accepted jesus if christ has saved you if you if you've walked The gospel if you've heard the gospel right if you know that this heavenly amazing galactic god has breathed life into you and with the life you've been given you've been rebellious that you've slapped god in the face you've offended him that you have hurt yourself that you have lived a life of desolation and sin and brokenness you know you know that christ was sent to die on the cross for our offenses You know this, that Christ died, that he bled, that he gave his life through a gruesome death so that the bridge could be built that we can now have free access into the presence of this heavenly God who is both just and merciful so that we can walk in hope with him. That opportunity, that new life was bought with a price and that is the blood of Jesus. This price that he pays, that's why he owns us. If you claim Christ, we often say, you are now. You are following Jesus as both Lord and Savior. As in Christ is now Lord of your life. He is the owner of our life. So when we act, we act because we act in accordance with him as our king, as our Lord. He owns us. But what we should also see is that when we put on Christ, we represent Christ. If you claim yourself to be a Christian, if you say that you follow God, then you are a representation of Jesus out in the world paul writes in second corinthians chapter 5 verse 20 it says therefore we are ambassadors for christ god making his appeal through us that first part says we are ambassadors for christ this is an amazing passage in the book of second corinthians where it talks about the fact that we are no longer what we used to be that we are something new and because we're something new, because Christ has saved us, we are given the ministry of reconciliation. As in that God has reconciled us to himself because of Jesus, but then turns around and sends us back out to be his representatives in the world because he's calling the rest of the world to be reconciled with him. You, when you put on Christ, you are an ambassador. You are a representative. Growing up, when we talked about the idea of ambassadors, we, would, we were taught the idea of like dignitaries or foreign nationals who represented other countries in countries. Obviously, like we have ambas- uh, U.S. ambassadors living in, in Tokyo, in, in Japan, in, in Russia, in different places, but we also have people who live in the United States as ambassadors, representatives of other nations. Their job is to represent the interests and the, the, the agendas of the nations that they report to but you know what's, I think, what hits home a little bit more, but what illustrates the idea of representation is also what we see now in our current economy. If you are uh, someone who's heard of the Internet, you probably, you've probably been around, you see there's a lot of things called affiliate marketing now, and there's a lot of ways for people to make money based on brand recognition. There is a, uh, there's an energy drink that I became very fond of a couple about a year ago, I, was, I stumbled upon them. I, uh, I do a lot of research on just sports, fitness, sports and fitness and things, and I found this energy drink that was amazing. I, I liked how clean it was, I liked the hydration, I liked a lot of things they put in there that's, that makes classic energy drinks like Red Bull or Monster look terrible, which they are. You shouldn't drink those. Health tip. I found this energy drink that I absolutely loved, and I started trying them, and I started drinking it, And I got to the point where I was like, man, this is amazing. This is really cool. These are expensive. And then I found out as I was perusing their their website that they needed something called brand ambassadors. They wanted something called a brand ambassador. And what that was, was that if you applied with them and they accepted you and you took on the role of a brand ambassador... You got perks. Number one, they would send you free clothing with their brand listed all over, and they wanted you to wear it and go out and do that. But they also gave you the hookup to these energy drinks, and you would get them at a very, very reduced cost. I saw that opportunity, and I was like, heck yeah, I want that. So I applied. But see, when you apply, you don't just apply, and then they interview you, you talk through it. What they, what they told me is like, hey, thanks for applying. We're gonna take a look at your digital life. We're gonna go through your Twitter, your Instagram, your Facebook. We're gonna go through all these things because listen, if we're going to be in partnership, if you're going to represent us, we wanna make sure that whatever you're about, we're about. That there's nothing in your life, nothing that you promote that is contrary to what we're about because if you are about something that's not what we're about, we don't want to be involved with you. We don't want you wearing our name out in public. We don't want us to be officially associated because you would misrepresent us. For them, that was the definition of a brand ambassador. In many ways, that's what's happening here when Christ calls us to be his ambassadors, to have the hope that God offers, to have the power and the joy that Christ offers to us. We put him on, and when we put him on, we represent Him, and it's our responsibility to not misrepresent Him. If you're wondering, I didn't get the, the sponsorship. Um, the, what they cited was, hey, Andrew, you're, you're, you're good enough in the sense of content, but uh, you're not very popular on the Internet, so it wouldn't do us <laughs> any good. And I said, I'll be back. <laughs> I, I will be. But the idea here then is if we're called to be ambassadors and that we can misrepresent Christ though we wear his name, the question is, is that possible for a Christian to accept Jesus and to misrepresent him? Is it possible for us to claim Christ, to put on the the Jesus swag and, and still misrepresent him? Well, it is. We're going to look at obstacles to the true reality that we have in Christ. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 1, it says, Working together with him. So this is Paul talking about working alongside the movement of God. Working together with him, then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in Vain. We appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. You need to understand the context of, of this passage. The Apostle Paul with the Corinthian church, they were a little bit at odds. They were, the Corinthian church at, at one point was this church that was thriving, it was growing, it was part of the city of Corinth, And when Paul left, there were other teachers who came in and started teaching false things in this church who claimed Jesus started to do and teach things that were contrary to the gospel. And they started to question whether or not Paul was truly an appointed apostle. And Paul goes on to talk about more and more about how we know that he is an accredited follower of Jesus. But then he turns it around on them, and he says, you, you, church, are misrepresenting Jesus as you have claimed his name, and you have done so in vain. You have done so in vain. So what this tells us from a simple observation is that Christians can receive Jesus in vain. And they can take on the name of Christian, of Jesus, of a, a Jesus follower in vain. Because look at the context. This isn't written to non-believers. This isn't written to people who don't aren't aware of Jesus. This is written to a church. This is written to people who claim to follow Jesus, who gathered regularly to hear some sort of teaching. And we see here that it was very possible for a church. So the individuals as well within that church to take on the name of Christ and to do so in vain. Vain, definition of which is of, of no effect. Nothing happens with it. That they received Jesus and whatever was supposed to intend to happen, the power, the hope, the joy, the deliverance from sin, it doesn't happen. If you're studying that, I think you would ask yourself, well, why? What happened here? What happened here that someone could understand the gospel in a moment and have the spark of, yes, I need Jesus, and then to receive it, and then later down the road, it just kind of peters out and nothing happened. And yet they still claim to be a follower of Jesus. Well, if you actually continue to read that same chapter in chapter 6 you would get to verse 12, and it says, you are not restricted by us, but you are restricted in your own affections. So that first part, when Paul says, you are not restricted by us, what he is combating is this, is this victim mentality. It's this idea that the, the, the Corinthians looked at Paul and said, well, maybe you're not that good of a teacher. Maybe, maybe if you were so good at following Jesus, why is your life so terrible? Why have you suffered? Why have you had shipwrecks? Why have you had no money? Why have you gone through all these things? And Paul, for this whole section right up to it, he tells him, it's for the glory of God that I suffer. It is for the glory of God that I've gone through shipwrecks, through stonings, through murder attempts, and all these things. And when he tells him, like, listen, the faults here isn't on us we haven't restricted you you are restricted by your own affections well what is he getting at the word affections in this context and in, in the original language it refers to the innermost part of a person it is the bowels of the person and in that time and history, they looked at that as that was the seat of people's emotions and thoughts. It's like that gut feeling. Today, we would equate it with the idea of someone's heart, right? That we would say whatever it is like you, you listen to, whatever drives you, it's that. But ultimately, what it boils down to is this emotional thinking. It's this emotion-driven emotion life. And so what we see here is that we rob ourselves of new life when we get emotional, that Jesus, if He calls us to a new life, it's great, but you know what can get in the way of that? Is if we get emotional about things. As if we allow our emotions to drive us. And that happens, right? When you focus on the reality you create for yourself, when you focus just solely on your pain, when you take your eyes off of Christ and not see the greater reality, when you don't stay focused on Him, when you do that, of course you're gonna feel terrible and all these things. And so that's what you focus on. And so you start to make these decisions, these choices, that are all based on emotions, and it might hurt you in the end. Have you ever emotionally ate? <laughs> I know I have. I know. Have you ever tried to be like, okay, I'm trying to eat better, I'm trying to do good, but then after a long day, you look at like a half pint of ice cream that you have in your freezer, and in your brain, you know, shouldn't eat that. But your emotions are like, but I've had such a long day. <laughs> I just I deserve this. And so you go with that. Well that's okay. But if you continue to do that, that's why you don't see gains. That's why you don't see growth and development within our own human bodies. It's when we're driven by our emotions and not by truth. I think oftentimes well, this this needs to be said. Because there are times when you talk to to people, they like to downplay emotions. And I don't think we should do that either. Because you could walk away from this section right now and be like, okay, I should just negate anything that I think and feel. That's not what we're saying at all. Because emotions, happiness, anger, joy, sorrow, those are all part of the human experience that is created in the image of God. Our emotions are a very true part, part of us. To be driven by your emotions is to be emotional. But one thing that we should consider is the fact that we should be in tune with our emotions as well. And what that looks like is this. Every now and then, I I work with kids, like older kids, too, and they do things that upset me. Has that ever happened to you? (laughs) Yeah? And there's a real part of me that after I've told them something five or six times, my patience is like, like my frustration is high, and I just wanna like, ugh, (laughs) right? (laughs) But if I act emotionally towards a child who honestly in many ways is trusting me to guide them, to protect them, to walk with them, I'll hurt them more than I'll help them. So oftentimes in myself, as I work with kids and they are being who they are, I have to see what's going on, they'll do whatever it is they're doing, and I can feel it, and then I have to just acknowledge to myself, not, not to push it down and go away, but I have to acknowledge, this kid is making me mad. But now that I've acknowledged that, it also allows me, how should I respond in, instead of react to what's happening here? It's not a pushing away of what I'm thinking or feeling, but it's an acknowledgement as to what's happening, to be in tune with that, so that I can respond in time and in, in turn, to be helpful, to be, a, to be a blessing, as opposed to being a hindrance. Now, we've looked at the idea that God calls us to make everything about him because he owns us and that we represent him. We've looked at the idea that it's very possible for us to claim to be Christians and it mean nothing, that we can put on the hope of Christ, we can put on the jersey of Team Jesus and do nothing for the cause. As a matter of fact, we can misrepresent Christ to the rest of the world. But then the question then is, how? How can we make everything about God. If we want to walk in this new life, this new life of hope, and if we're called to to leave behind the pain and the frustration that we once to have, and we want to walk in hope, in love, and in unity with this God that created us, how do we make everything about God? There's a couple things I want to share with you. The first comes from Colossians chapter 3, and it's It's a beautiful section, because verse 17, what we read earlier, says, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Paul goes into a section about roles. That Paul lays out this idea that if you're a husband, you should act this way. If you're a wife, you should act this way. If you're a parent, you should be this way. If you're a child, you should act this way, because when you do those things, when you play out those roles, you are doing so in a way that honors God. You have roles, live those roles, in a way that honors God. He sums it up in Colossians chapter 3, verses 22. It says, or 23, it says, whatever you do, whatever you do with those roles, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. That means, that means every role that you have in your life, though you, if you're an employee and you're working for an employer, you have that role that's been given to you by God. And then you do that work, you shouldn't do it just for that person, but you should know that God is there, that that was a part of your calling, that you should honor God in that. Even if you work for yourself, guess who you really work for? Your customers. You do these things as if you are serving God himself because you are. What we see here is that we are to connect all of your roles and your responsibilities with Jesus. Jesus. If we want to make everything about God, then you have to connect all of your roles and responsibilities with Jesus. As I reflected upon that this, this week, I had to ask myself, what are the different roles that I play? What are the different responsibilities that I have? What are the different hats that I wear throughout the week? What are the different versions of Andrew that's constantly interacting with the public and honestly interacting with just in my quiet life? So I wrote a couple down just to consider. Number one, I'm a pastor. It'd be weird if I was a pastor that didn't honor Christ in that role. (laughs) That's that's a possibility, right? But I also wrote that I'm a friend. I am a brother. I'm also a coach, a mentor, and I'm also a mentee. Now, there are other roles that I have, but as I was writing through that, Those are the ones that came to my mind. And it makes me think about all these roles that I play. That these roles were given to me at some capacity by by friends and all these things, but at the same time, these are the roles that God has given me, and I need to be faithful to my God, my Savior, the one who owns me, to play these roles in a way that truly honors Him. I think about that last one that I wrote as a mentee, 34 years old. And I'm so blessed to have so many people speak into my life. I can't imagine being an adult who doesn't have other people like, that you can bounce off of, the people that can speak into you. And as I, as I think about that, as a student, if I want to honor God in that, I want to honor God because I have to recognize that I don't know Everything that I want to become the man that God has created me to be, so I need to, in humility, listen to the people who are speaking into my life. That honors God. That's about God, as I want to walk with him. But also, as a a coach and a mentor, I work with a lot of students. There are things that I need to remember so that I can honor God, because God has placed these students in my life And as I prepare for the weekends or the midweek, things like that, as I prepare to meet with them one-on-one, I can't just haphazardly do this because this is about honoring God and what he has brought to me. And I need to make sure that this is about him and leading these students to Christ. So what about you? What roles do you play? What hats do you wear? There's nothing, there's no hat, there's no responsibility, there's no area in your life that doesn't fall under the lordship of Jesus Christ because you represent him in all areas and he owns you. If you, that's a challenge. But here's the cool thing, is if you are thinking through that, you can get to the point where you might start to recognize that there are some things that you're about that honestly have nothing to do with God. And maybe you're like finagling the thought process. You're like, oh man, you know what? This is about God. And you have to take like three or four steps in your brain to say, like, this is how it connects with God. You can just get rid of it. Honestly, you could probably cut it out. Or there's an area there for you to repent of. odds are that very thing that you're fighting to keep in your life, even though it's, you have to fight to make it about God, that's probably the very thing that's killing you. So connect all your roles and your responsibilities to Christ. And the second thing you can do to make everything about God, probably my favorite thing, is that you are called to fan the flames of your faith fan the flames of your faith. Paul wrote to his mentee, Timothy, in 2 Timothy chapter, or 2 Timothy 1, 6 and 7, it says, for this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not a fear, but of power and love and self-control. If you are walking with Christ, the Spirit of God dwells inside of you. It is not a spirit of fear. It is not a spirit of anxiety, but a spirit of love, power, and self-control. But there are times, though, that we're, we're out of sync. That We're like, what... How, I'm not focused on that. You you know why? Well, it says right here that Paul encourages Timothy to fan the flames of the gift of God. And then it concludes with the idea and the reminder, because he has a spirit of God that dwells inside of him. So the question then is, if you're studying that, what is this gift of God? Well, in that context, right before this, Paul cites that Timothy has a faith, a sincere faith that came because his grandmother was a believer, and that was taught to his mother, and his mother then taught Timothy. And there's this thing that Timothy has such a genuine faith that it has led him through so much. And Paul commends him for this, because by the time Paul writes this, he's in jail, and he has seen so many people claim Jesus and fall away from the faith, and yet Timothy rages on and serves to the best of his ability, and Paul encourages him to fan the flame of that faith, to build that up, to pay attention to that. Five years ago, five or six years ago, I uh, I got into backpacking, And I had this opportunity to go with uh, my brother and one of my good friends, Jackson, in the back of the room right now. And uh, yeah, there he is, in the blue. (laughs) We had this opportunity to go backpack. It was our first trip. I I bought one of these books that said, where are some cool overnight places you can go that are within an hour of Portland. And I said, hey guys, let's go on an adventure. So we got into my Honda Accord, (laughs) my Honda Accord, and we climbed a mountain. We went to a place called Cispus Point. The drive there took forever because you shouldn't take a Honda Accord into the woods. But as we got there, we learned a lot of lessons that day. Like, number one, that when you're looking at weather reports, the weather for the ground is different from the weather at the top of a mountain. Okay? And when we got there, and what was supposed to take us 20 minutes took us like an hour and a half because we just were not in the best of shape. (laughs) Right? And we just didn't know what we were doing. Well, we got there, it was starting to get late, and we had fun taking pictures and all that stuff, and we built our tents we pitched them. And I remember at some point in time, because we're camping, I, I thought to myself, man, we should, make a, we should make a fire. And I distinctly remember trying to gather a few things to make a fire, but there was this breeze, this wind, and we just couldn't do it. And at, towards, that, towards that end of that evening, I was like, guys, let's just go to bed. We, can, we don't need this fire. Let's just go to bed, let's just roll up in our sleeping bags, and we'll, we'll just sleep. Well, that night, I learned something very important. Did you know that when you go camping, especially on a mountain, that there should be a layer of something between your sleeping bag and the ground itself? <laughs> right? I didn't know that. Every time I rolled around in my sleeping bag and like a part of my body was exposed to the ground, I could feel the earth just sucking the life force out of me. And I remember laying there in my sleeping bag, listening to my brother just snore away, <laughs> enjoying whatever sleep he had, laying there just freezing, And thinking thinking to myself, this is fine, this is fine, this is fine, this is fine, this is fine. But I was so cold that eventually I just snapped. At about three o'clock in the morning, I just snapped. And I said, I have to build a fire. I desperately need the warmth of a fire so that I can rest behind it. Because this life that I'm currently living right now is terrible. It is cold, it is dark. It just feels like everything out here is trying to kill me. So I remember climbing out of my, 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 my tent, and as I was rustling about, I could hear Jackson in his other tent going, Andrew, is that you? I'm like, yeah. Is, are you building a fire? And I said, yeah. And he was like, oh, yeah. And so we both got out, and we, we tried to build this fire. So we had the little, the little bit of like, you know, the, the TP of wood that you make that you put the kindling in, and you try to do things. But it took us 40 minutes, 40 minutes, and nothing was happening. My hands were so numb, I couldn't light the lighter, the wind was blowing, it was the craziest thing. We kept going through everything that we could find. Eventually my brother woke up and he and Jackson teamed up and made a human wall so that I could make this flame. And once it lit, I was so excited. I was like, oh, we have fire. Oh, I could feel the warmth returning to my hands. And then as I looked at it and I started to to catch the rest of the, the fuel, it dawned on me that we didn't have any other fuel for this. So I remember, as as that reality struck us all, I told Jackson and Alex, find anything. Find anything. So as they were scrambling through the mountainside just looking for sticks, twigs, whatever, we just kept trying to feed that flame, feed that fire, because in my brain, right there at that moment, is if I don't have this fire, I'm going to die. (laughs) Friends, If you don't fan the flames of your faith, you're going to die. If you don't look at the reality of the fact that God has called us close to him, that God has given us a gift, that God has given us a spirit of power, of love, and self-control, and all these things, but you don't fan that focus on him, you don't fan that flame, you don't continue to 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 attend the fire of your soul and turn your heart towards God and that flame starts to go out, you start to feel it. And if we're going to make everything about God, that means you need to be paying attention to your heart, your faith. And is it towards God? Because you desperately need that fire. Now imagine this. Imagine this as a church. That if we were to come together, and if we were to be a people that truly continued to fan the flames of our faith, that we were on fire for him, that we would see these people overcome and be delivered from the sins of their life, to to go from a point of being I'm done to being on fire for Christ, to see genuinely the hope, the redemption, the power that is in Christ, then we would be a fiery beacon for the rest of this world That so desperately needs that fire. So, friends, as I close this message, I I would challenge you with this. Since you, if you were a believer, have a new life in Christ, are you making everything about God? Is he at the forefront of your decisions and your thoughts whenever you're living your life, whatever role that you're playing, whether you're a teacher or maybe you're a librarian or maybe you work at the mill or maybe you're just a friend or maybe you're a spouse? Is Christ in the midst of those thoughts and are you submitting to his leading? Because for us to continue to walk in that new life and that new hope, everything, everything is about god let's pray father god i thank you for your word i thank you father that you lord you have given us new life that you have given us hope that you have given us lord redemption through your son jesus i pray father that as a people that we would never take lightly the sacrifices that were made for us to have this connection with you I pray that we would be a church, Lord, that would just continue to foster that connection, Lord, to fan into flame our faith. Lord, so that we may continue, Father, to find hope. Father, I pray that as we live our lives and as inevitably we lose our way here and there, as we get to a point in our lives where we want to say, I'm done, Father, I pray that you would remind us of the truths that you've been teaching us. Be glorified in our lives. In your name I pray, amen.
1: Have a seat. You know, today what Andrew did is he, he kind of put the exclamation point on the end of this series that we've been, we've been walking through for the last four weeks. And I want to take just a moment, I want to kind of with a broad brush stroke, I want to remind you where we've been. I want to remind you of the journey we've been on for the last month and, and hopefully allow that to, uh, to kind of become solidified in your mind. Because we started this series saying, what do you do when you're done? What do you do when you're at the end of your rope? What do you do when you, you, you're really good at putting the smile on in the outside, but internally you're saying, gosh, I don't know how to go forward. I'm tired of this or that. I'm, I'm tired of my struggle with sin. I, I feel uh, overwhelmed or lonely. I feel depressed and, and, and so discouraged. What do you do? And so the journey we've been on, we said, let's start by no longer ignoring our reality. We said, don't ignore your reality. Remember the story of Zacchaeus? He he was a traitor. He was a thief. He was a a scoundrel. He made his money off of abusing other people. And then when he came to the point where where he looked at the reality of who Jesus is and the reality of who he was, it brought him to that spot of, of repentance in Jesus' words, he says, today salvation has come to this house. We said, start there. Don't ignore your reality. But but then the next step is don't, don't sit there in your reality. Don't say, well, you know what? I've messed up, and I'm a loser, and I hate myself, and so I'm just going to sit here in my mess forever. We said, don't do that. The next step was, was outlook determines outcome. And so we said, look to Christ, Hebrews 12. It says, looking to Jesus, the founder of and perfecter of your faith. We said put your eyes, put your attention on Jesus and who he is as the sinless son of God and and on what he's done in his sacrificial death to pay the price for all of our sin and all of our shame and then to be resurrected from the dead. We said, okay, don't ignore your reality, D, O, on Christ look. And then last week we said N, said because of what Christ has done, new life is yours to walk in. You have been given a brand new life. We looked at Romans chapter 6 where it says, how can we who have died to sin continue to live in it? And the point there is is you've been freed. Sin no longer owns you. It no longer controls you. It no longer has the, the power over you. You have been given a brand new life. And so then what Andrew did today, he said, okay, how do you continue to walk in that new life? And here's the very simple, not always easy, but simple answer. Make everything in your life about God. Everything's about him. When you wake up, your life is about God. When you go to work, your life is about God. When you're going to school or when you're teaching in school, when you're coming home from work, when you're having your leisure time in the afternoon, when you go to bed, everything is about God. And so I encourage you to take this challenge. To take just a moment right now and say, is there anything in my life that I know That i know i'm leaving god out of that i'm not making it about him take this moment right now of clarity and say either i'm going to make it about god or i'm going to cut it out of my life i'm going to walk in the new life and make everything about god if you're willing to do this and if you're willing to remember this in those moments when you're done here's what you can find you can find the real hope of the gospel not, not a watered-down gospel, not a, hey, just be happy. You can find the real hope no matter what you're experiencing of Jesus and his death and resurrection and what it means for you. That's really been our prayer over the last month. That's our hope for you, that you could find that hope and that joy. Well, thank you so much for being here. I hope this has been meaningful for you. Today, we're going to conclude with one more song. We're also going to receive an offering for those who are part of Valley. If you're a guest, like always, there's no pressure to give. But, but for those who are part of Valley, thank you for the way you support the ministry and the mission here. The way you can give is there, there are these two buckets in the front. You can also put your connection cards in there. And uh, also you can give online. Thank you no matter how you give for doing that. Um, last thing I'll say. is As we end this series, if, if you've got this thing in your mind, you're like, I could really use someone to talk to you. I could really use someone to pray with Just know we're here for you. Grab probably just about anyone in this room. Grab one of the leaders. We would love to walk that path with you. Let's all stand together, and I'll pray one more time, and then we'll sing together, and then we'll be dismissed. Heavenly Father, we, once again, we come to you so thankful for everything that you've done for us. Just like that Colossians 3.17 says, whatever we do, in word or in deed, To do everything in the name of Jesus Christ, being thankful to God our Father. God, we are thankful to you. We're thankful for the salvation that you've given us. We're thankful for the guidance you've given us. We're thankful that when we're done, we're not alone. That you're right there with us, helping us, guiding us. You've given us salvation in Christ. We thank you that when we're done, we're not alone because you've given us a church family to care and support. And God, I pray for each person here and every person online. I pray that in this moment, they would sense your love and your care. I pray that you would give each of us a, an awareness, a clarity of those things in our life that, that we've made about ourselves, our, our greed, our lust, our anger, our selfishness, our, our sin. And God, I pray in this moment, we would we would turn away from those things and we would now make everything in our lives about you. Because, because your son, Jesus, gave everything to save us. And we pray this all in his name. Amen.